Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.14 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 3rd of September 2021. This is episode 471 of Bitcoin and dudes freaking remember to smash by 30 bucks worth of Bitcoin on September the 7th. I don't care <clears throat> what platform you use strike. Um, God, what else? Uh, square. Yeah. I don't know. Swan river financial. I don't care. Remember September the 7th. It's coming up. It's, I believe it's this Tuesday. Let me check. Is it this Tuesday? It is, in fact, on a Tuesday, September the 7th. That's when the Bitcoin law goes into effect in El Salvador. Help show your support or just smash by some Bitcoin for yourself and your family on that day. And let's see what happens. Let's see what happens if we can coordinate a smash by 30 bucks Bitcoin on September the 7th, the same day that all these people in El Salvador, which we will get into, apparently they all hate Bitcoin, according to 1,200 people in 14 university departments at a single university. Yeah, if you trust those numbers, I got bridges all over the world to sell you. So with that said, let's just run into it. Another Ben. Yes, people, we have yet another bin in the fold. However, I don't think Franklin Templeton is on Twitter. $1.5 trillion investment management firm is hiring a Bitcoin and shitcoin research analyst on Wednesday. By the way, this is Alex McShane for Bitcoin Magazine. On Wednesday, Franklin Templeton, with over $1.4 trillion in assets under management, posted an open position for a research analyst cryptocurrency on LinkedIn. According to the LinkedIn post, the traditional multinational holding company, which provides investment solutions to 34 countries around the world, is seeking to employ someone to provide research coverage for Bitcoin. The research analyst would develop and maintain valuation models and keep portfolio managers and senior executives informed of various protocol regulatory staking and business opportunities. Franklin Templeton already employs over 12,000 people across 34 countries. The firm has not yet said whether it plans to provide Bitcoin investment vehicles or exposure in any form. You know, probably not. That's probably why they're researching it, guys. This year, it has become common for giant American companies to begin to hire for Bitcoin and crypto leadership positions. In August, Walmart One of the world's biggest retailers began its search to hire a digital currency and cryptocurrency product lead to own and drive the digital currency strategy. Oh, so they have a digital currency strategy now. Okay, well, you know, it was just a matter of time. In July, Amazon began its search to hire a digital currency and blockchain product lead for its payment acceptance and experience team, 
who are responsible for facilitating billions of online customer payments through the site and services of one of the largest e-commerce companies in the world. All of these giant companies have the potential to introduce and provide millions of customers with Bitcoin exposure. Yes, this is true. Uh, yeah, yeah. We knew it was a matter of time for Walmart. And by the way, there's Walmarts in El Salvador and under the Bitcoin law, which goes into effect on September the 7th. Remember to smash by Bitcoin, 30 bucks worth on Tuesday. Um, they're going to have to accept Bitcoin. Walmart will have to accept Bitcoin. They don't have a choice. Well, you know, I take that back. Walmart does have a choice. You can bail out of El Salvador. Or you can just say, you know what? The, the tide is entirely too strong. We're just going to have to swim with it. And that appears to be what all these people are going to do. I mean, you know, Franklin Templeton is, you know, with $1.5 trillion in uh, assets under management, that's not small fish. Franklin Templeton's been around for decades, like every, all the other legacy financial institutions. It appears to me that they have no choice. And as they have no choice, that we're in this interstitial space, right? The United States, if we just take the United States, which is... I don't know, arguably right now the strongest nation in the world. Yeah, I know. People are snickering because of what we did or how we left Afghanistan. Yeah, pretty weak display of bullshit right there. However, economically speaking, the United States pretty much rules the roost right now. And we are in this space where there's not a whole lot of regulation around Bitcoin. Nobody in Congress has really just come out and said, we're just going to ban it, except for like a couple of people. But, you know, unless you get like a real strong movement in Congress, and I, I, I don't think that that's going to happen, you're not going to have outright bans. You're not going to be able to tell Franklin Templeton that they can't. You're not going to be able to tell JP Morgan that they can't. And as these people... It's not going to take them long. It's not going to be like, oh, they're going to need 10 years in this space before they vehemently defend their financial positions that they've taken in, in Bitcoin and, well, shitcoins. It's going to be a matter of months. And after a while, and I think we've already broken past that point with people like MicroStrategy and, and like, a lot, like a lot of insurance companies and all kinds of people across the world, they all have part of the pie at this point, and they're not going to just let any government, much less the United States government, tell them what their fiduciary commitments are going to be to their customers. They have charters, right? Those charters are going to be used in court as evidence to defend their position that they've taken. Once that occurs, it is extremely unlikely that any sort of Bitcoin ban will actually occur in the United States, which means that our financial institution, the threads of our financial institution, as they have infiltrated the rest of the world, will carry that message along with it. I'm not worried about a ban on Bitcoin in the United States, which means that I'm not worried about a ban on Bitcoin in other countries that actually want to do business with the legacy financial system, which is driven by the mushroom, the mycelium that is the United States legacy financial institution. If you're worried about it, I'd put it to bed right now, man.
<clears throat> because as your other assets inflate, Bitcoin can protect those savings, says Dylan LeClaire from Bitcoin Magazine as well. An appreciating stock market is now a matter of national security in the United States. Oh, I love it. Dylan just coming right out of the bag punching, man. This is very little acknowledged reality of the current economic system, but it's the truth. As a result of the Bretton Woods Agreement that established the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency in 1944, as well as the Nixon shock in 1971, which introduced the global economy to free float fiat currencies, the United States is in quite the precarious position. <laughs> because of the Triffin Dilemma, the United States has served as the rare case study of a twin deficit nation, both a balance of trade deficit as well as a fiscal deficit. Economist Robert Triffin outlined the reasons for this back in 1960, quote, if the United States stopped running balance of payment deficits, the international community would lose its largest source of additions to reserves. The resulting shortage of liquidity could pull the world economy into a contractionary spiral leading to instability, end quote. The United States in just two decades has gone from a global leader in trade to being completely overtaken by rising nation state power, <coughs> superpower China. As it turns out, Triffin's worries have turned out to be warranted and the United States finds itself with two distinct paths. Option one, reverse course and defend the dollar by having the Federal Reserve raise interest rates and curtail asset purchases, thus spiraling the global economy into an unprecedented depression in the process while driving an already polarized society further apart as unemployment skyrockets, asset values plummet, and the real cost of debt explode. Or option two, continue the devaluation of the dollar while equities, real estate, and other asset classes continue to melt up in nominal terms as the United States attempts to onshore the manufacturing that left its borders over the last two decades while keeping the social unrest at a minimum. It is no mistake that the market continues to melt upwards with minimal volatility, but rather, this is completely by design. Market participants know that the talking heads at the Federal Reserve and in political power do not have any choice but to devalue the currency. As former credit market trader Greg Foss likes to say, quote, in a debt GDP spiral, the fiat currency is the error term. That is pure mathematics. It is a spiral <clears throat> to which there is no mathematical escape. Yeah, it's a black hole, dude. We're out. We're, we're well within the event horizon of that black hole, by the way, people. This is not a new phenomenon. And in fact, debt cycles similar to what is unfolding today, not only in the U.S., but across the globe, have happened many times before, just not at this scale in a technologically interconnected world. All debt crises examined throughout history have ended in a similar fashion. Quote, <clears throat> printing money or debt monetization and government guarantees are inevitable in depressions in which interest rates cuts won't work, though these tools are of little value in countries that are constrained from printing or don't have assets to back printing up and can't easily negotiate the redistributions of the debt burdens. All of the deleveraging that we have studied, which is most of those that occurred over the past 100 years eventually led to big waves of money creation, fiscal deficits, and currency devaluations against gold, commodities, and stocks. That's Ray Dalio in Principles for Navigating Big Debt Crises. Our proposed solution to this problem is clear. 
Bitcoin, yeah, baby. <clears throat> the reasons that we stress basic supply and demand dynamics of the Bitcoin monetary network at the beginning of this report is the reason that it serves to be the solution for the great monetary inflation. Quote, investing during a hyperinflation has a few basic principles. Get short the currency, do whatever you can to get your money out of the country, buy commodities, and invest in commodities industries like gold, coal, and metals. Buying equities is a mixed bag. Investing in the stock market becomes a losing proposition as inflation transitions to hyperinflation. Instead of there being a high correlation between the exchange rate and the price of shares, there is an increasing divergence between share price and the exchange rate. So, during this time, gold becomes the preferred asset to hold. Shares are a disaster even though they rise in local currency and bonds are wiped out. Again, Ray Dalio, Principles for Navigating Big, big Debt Crises. <coughs> the solution is simple. Get your money out of the country and store it in the immutable Bitcoin monetary network. Short the currency, i.e. borrow dollars depending on duration, collateral, and interest rate, and acquire hard assets with a production cost. The reason gold was always the preferred asset to hold during debt crises is not because of the shiny metallic nature of the metal, or because of its industrial use cases, but rather the unforgeable costliness of the asset. A marginal unit of gold was or is harder to produce relative to the outstanding supply than any other fungible commodity. With Bitcoin, we have a monetary asset with 24-7, 365 liquidity in every jurisdiction and market on the planet with a hard cap supply with a direct economic incentive to sell any all excess energy to the network strengthening it in the process while raising the marginal unit production cost because of the difficulty adjustment as covered above. Well, they didn't really cover it above. This is an excerpt from the report. That's why you may be confused in either event. Bitcoin is not just an asset one should hold during times of unprecedented economic turmoil. Bitcoin is unequivocally the most certain asset on the planet and unlike gold during debt crises of the past, Bitcoin is in the process of monetizing today, leading us to believe that 10,000% upside is not only possible, but probable over the coming decade. Yeah, and if done right, cannot be seized, right? I mean, if coming door to door with a metal detector to my house in search of gold, yeah, if I'm hoarding gold, I might find myself in quite the pickle if I'm keeping it at my house or on my, on my property. And like, let's, okay, well, I've got 10,000 acres. I, I know I'm gonna go bury it in a hole. Yeah, really? Well, drones with all manner of sensors that are fitted to it are probably going to be able to detect a large amount of gold sitting, you know, just below or even deeper in the surface of the planet. They have that shit, guys, right? That's just, that's just standard technology. There's nothing, there's nothing even remotely odd about that statement. If you look at the sensors that we fit to satellites that we shoot out into space and go orbit other planets and, and, and the data that those sensors can return, it should become of no surprise that if you bury 10,000 pounds of gold 10 feet deep in your, the middle of your 10,000 acre property, that a drone with a few, you know, few tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment attached to it is gonna be able to look at your land and go, there's a high concentration of metal right there. 
Maybe they know it's gold. Maybe they don't. But with the human brain, it doesn't take a fucking idiot to find out that maybe they should go dig that shit up. With Bitcoin, it's different. There's no metal detection. There's no LIDAR. There's no radar that you can shoot through my house to find out that I have Bitcoin. Good luck. Good freaking luck. <clears throat> Obi-Wan speaks. This is Obi Nwosu from BTC Times. He doesn't work for BTC Times. However, he does write a periodic uh, opinion piece or two, and I love reading them because he's an excellent author. Anyway, hegemony is here. No one really knows when the era ends. Not at the time, anyway. The character of a new decade, century, or reign emerges slowly. It's usually only with historical hindsight that we can pinpoint the moment when a new age began. Even so, I believe that when historians look back on the origins of Bitcoin, they will identify August 2021 as the month the traditional retail finance changed forever. And the reason is not the simple fact that PayPal started rolling out Bitcoin transactions to the rest of the world, but why they have done so. The reason? Rational self-interest. PayPal is not an evangelist for Bitcoin. They weren't there at the start. They waited watchfully while other visionaries invested. They've never made a meaningful public pronouncement on Bitcoin. The reason why I believe we're standing on the cusp of a new era is simple. Because PayPal doesn't care about Bitcoin. At least, not in the way you or I do. They don't give a fig for financial self-sovereignty or any other benefits of the Bitcoin revolution. They have no preference for customers to transact in dollars, yen, pounds, won, or Bitcoin. They just want to do it on their platform. PayPal's decision to enable customers to transact on the Bitcoin blockchain rather than keep users, Bitcoin, or users of Bitcoin captive within their walled gardens and to make their Bitcoin service available to the whole world is purely a business decision. It's based on simple, rational self-interest. Research has found that Bitcoiners were three times more likely to engage with PayPal after the company trialed the new services in the United States. And as these valuable new users become more educated, they naturally demand self-custody. Yes, the size and ubiquity of PayPal's brand makes this momentous for Bitcoin. PayPal has 400 million active users worldwide. Three million of these are in the UK alone. Bitcoin has never suffered from an awareness problem, but now it has exposure to a huge new potential user base. It's one thing to seek out Bitcoin and quite another to see it there, ready for you to buy your first few Satoshis every single time you log into PayPal. And so we pass from the era of evangelism to the age of self-interest. <clears throat> when Fidelity, MicroStrategy, Paul Tudor Jones, and any of the early adopters bought Bitcoin, they were making a bet. It was effectively a giant statement of belief. Quote, this is going to be big, they were saying, and we're staking our reputations upon it. End quote. Companies like PayPal aren't in the risk business. They are not visionaries. They know which way the wind is blowing and they follow the money. At the end of last year, I talked about the institutions pouring into Bitcoin as the critical third follower. PayPal represents a new wave of adopters, which crucially don't particularly care about Bitcoin. For them, it's simply another mechanism to expand their market. This is both incredibly exciting and ineffably sad for those of us who've been in it from the beginning. Why? Because it means Bitcoin is becoming boring, oh thank God. We early adopters will quickly become wistful for the days when our small band of believers proclaimed Bitcoin to be a bemused, suspicious world. Now, everyone wants a piece of the action, but we always knew this would happen. 
hegemony is achieved when people and institutions stop thinking about Bitcoin as a speculative investment and start seeing it as an essential product offering. Those who buy it care about it, but we don't need the legacy financial industry to be similarly passionate or even to approve of Bitcoin's philosophy. Bitcoin has arrived and PayPal will be the first of many just looking to follow down the path the crowd is headed. Bitcoin succeeds when people don't think about it as Bitcoin. Who, apart from politicians, central banks, and fiercely nationalistic citizens, actually loves their national currency? No one. People only care about what they can do with it. For ordinary citizens, Bitcoin's benefits and its effectiveness as a store of value and the ability it brings to transfer wealth cheaply and quickly anywhere in the world. For just over a year, I've been charting Bitcoin's road to hegemony. Like you, perhaps, I thought this would be a long and winding path with many setbacks and stepbacks along the way. But all of a sudden, at summer's end, in this topsy-turvy, COVID-wracked world, hegemony is here. <clears throat> the wave of new followers isn't limited to the financial services sector. Earlier this month, U.S. retail behemoth Walmart followed in Amazon's footsteps by posting job ads for a crypto specialist to develop its digital currency strategy and product roadmap and identify crypto-related investments and partnerships. When Amazon did the same thing, I predicted that this would be Bitcoin's Windows 95 moment and that boardrooms around the world would be racing to understand and exploit Bitcoin. Once again, I've been surprised by how quickly the initial trickle of interest has turned into a flood of new followers. Again, there's nothing altruistic in Walmart's embrace of Bitcoin. Its search for crypto talent is simply another example of rational self-interest. And so we find ourselves in the ultimate virtuous cycle. Fortune 500 companies are adopting Bitcoin because its utility increases. In doing so, they boost its utility still further. I started 2021 full of hope for Bitcoin, expecting steady progress and some standout big wins along the way. I could never have predicted PayPal, Amazon, and Walmart within weeks of each other. And it's still only August. What other milestones will Bitcoin leave in its wake by the end of this year? Thank you, Obi Nwosu. Uh, <laughs> that's what, I'm telling you, man, I love reading this guy. He's just... He's such an excellent author. In either event, yeah, he's pretty much correct. Um, we're going to get into, where, where do I have it? I'm looking for it right now. At the, towards the end of the show here, we're going to talk about how people are using Bitcoin to market themselves. But when we do that, please remember the words of Obi-Nwosu. Rational self-interest. Rational self-interest is what is going to start taking over the wheel and driving this rig down the road, right? And yes, we may be kind of sad that Bitcoin is becoming boring, but a lot of us that have been in it for a while, we did know that this was going to come. And we did, like, for instance, I know that one of these days, no one's going to give a shit about this show. That's okay. That's okay. The show is a public service, you know, the Bitcoin and is a public service to you guys. Try, you know, doing my best to give back to the community that essentially changed my life. Okay, so it's not, I'm not going to shed any tears. Not that I'll stop, you know, podcasting. I may just start up, I don't know, homesteading or, you know, permaculture, gardening, how to, you know, copy how to print more trees from one tree. I've been really, really fascinated 
with just how well some of my experimentation has worked with taking, you know, a couple of branches of trees and turning them into other living trees and not paying anyone a goddamn dime. And for somebody who wants a shit ton of vegetation around my property, there is nothing better than to learn how to take cuttings, root them, and get them, get them going as their own plant. I was trying to tell my daughter the other day, I was like, look at that plant, and it's a gumiberry plant. I was like, I t- took one cane that was about three foot long, and I turned it into 21 separate copies of gumiberry. I bought the original plant for $15. If I take these 21 plants down to the, oh, I don't know, say the farmer's market, and somehow are able to sell them all, I just made 200 bucks. It took me, I don't know. worth of potting soil in an hour. I'm telling you, man, that's probably going to be my next podcast because hegemony of Bitcoin is going to cause no one to really care about Bitcoin news. I mean, except, you know, I don't know, I guess we're going to enter into a legacy financial situation along with everything else. Like there'll be CNBC, but it'll be you know, CN Bitcoin C or something like that. And yeah, okay, so that will still be there. But, you know, I'm just saying, it's okay that this is going to get boring. Uh, Just make sure that as it does get boring, that you still DCA. And remember, El Salvador, September 7th, smash by 30 bucks. 70% of Salvadorans are opposed to the Bitcoin law as the September 7th implementation draws near. Smash by on September 7th. Samuel Haig is gonna tell us about some pretty much jacked up, sur- a jacked up survey from Cointelegraph here. <clears throat> With less than a week to go before El Salvador's Bitcoin law takes effect on September the 7th, the majority, get this, a majority of the citizenry surveyed are opposed to government mandated cryptocurrency adoption. <gasps> a survey conducted by the, get this, local Central American University Institute of public opinion has found that 70% of Salvadorans believe President Nayib Bukele's Bitcoin law, recognizing the cryptocurrency as legal tender, should be repealed. However, more than 90% of those surveyed also admitted that they have a poor understanding of cryptocurrency in general. The Institute recorded a dire public approval rating of just 7.64% for the president, the lowest registered during Bukele's term so far. Attitudes toward the Bitcoin law appear intertwined with worries over the country's poor economic performance. The poll found that 45% of Salvadoran citizens believe that poverty and unemployment are the two most urgent problems facing the nation, and 43% believe that the nation's economy will worsen with the passing of the Bitcoin law. According to the World Bank, oh, the World Bank, like I trust a fucking word they say, 22.8% of El Salvador's population are currently living below the poverty line, while the average annual income in the country is $3,800. More than two-thirds of Salvadorans do not believe the local economy will improve even with the increase in minimum wage. The poll also found that 20% of Salvadorans openly state that they do not know what Bitcoin is with a further 70% confessing to having a poor understanding of cryptocurrency. According to a rough translation, the researchers conducting the survey concluded, quote, in other words, get this, remember when I, when I go into the translation of the actual survey that, the, that these, this university released, remember these words. 
In other words, nine out of 10 Salvadorans have no clear knowledge of what this financial asset is, end quote. The findings echo a similar poll taken in July, which found that only 20% of the locals approve Bukele's forthcoming Bitcoin law. If there's a silver lining of optimism to be taken from the poll, it's that the latest figures suggest the number of citizens with no understanding of Bitcoin has more than halved from July's figure of 46%, suggesting efforts from the government to increase awareness have had some slight effect. On August the 30th, Bukele shared the country's first state-backed Bitcoin TV advertisement to Twitter, featuring animated tutorials on how the government's Chivo digital wallet can be used to purchase goods and transfer value. The following day, Bukele tweeted out images of Bitcoin ATMs that are slated for rollout across the country, with the president claiming that 50 physical terminals will be operational on September the 7th. The president also estimated that the pivot to embrace crypto will save the country $400 million a year in remittance fees. To help drum up support for Bitcoin, the government also launched a charitable campaign collecting BTC donations to fund dental treatments for impoverished Salvadorans. The Bitcoin Smiles campaign raised 1.02 BTC, which is about 50 grand, in total from 797 individual contributions. Despite the government's best efforts, concerns clearly remain. Hundreds of local citizens turned out to protest the law in solidarity with unions and social organizations on September the 2nd. Hundreds. Man, there are dozens of us, Bo. There's dozens of us. Okay. Yeah, so here again, LGP or LPG Politica on Twitter shows three pictures most of which is just banners. Actually, there's three pictures and two of them just show banners. One of them is a long shot down a sidewalk. And if you actually look at the people that are there, there's nobody across the street. There's nobody in the street. They're on one side next to a fence. And there are literally dozens of them. Oh my God. How, whatever shall we do? Dozens of people that represent apparently 70% of the country have a problem with Bitcoin, yet less than half of them understand what the hell it even is, and less than half of that understand how to actually use it, and less than half of that probably don't understand macroeconomics because they're too busy trying to feed their ass because they've been so fucking broke for so fucking long because of the IMF, the World Bank, Federal Reserve, and all other bullshit. Because guess what? When the Federal Reserve prints money, as Salvadorans, who is dependent solely on the dollar. That's their only currency so far until September 7th. Remember, smash by 30 bucks worth of Bitcoin. So when we inflate the dollar, when we print money, when we give stim stimmy checks to ourselves, the Salvadorans don't get it. And they're the ones that feel the real opening effects of inflation. All right. So let's talk about the survey. What is the survey? Okay, so I went to the to the website the, or the blog post where the what the Universidad Centro America Afirmo oh sorry, uh they don't have their their other name in it. It's the institute that's their public opinion institute from this particular university. So I'm read like I have to, you know, do some translation here. And I'm not doing it myself. I'm getting help from Google Translate. I mean, come on, dude. I, I don't know Spanish. You, you know, I took a lot of Spanish in school, but 
yeah, yeah. So where is it? The, here's, here's the thing. Nowhere in that piece did it say how many people were surveyed or who was surveyed. You know how many people were surveyed to tell us that 70% of El Salvadorans are, are against the Bitcoin law? Yeah, 1,281. I know what you're saying. If you know statistics, that's a good sample size. I get that. But here's the whole sentence. For the study, 1,281 people were surveyed, parentheses, in the 14 departments, end parentheses. The sampling error is around 2.76 and the confidence is 95. I assume those numbers are in percentage points. It's the problem, the problem that I have with this sentence is when they say in the 14 departments. I can, and no, and they don't really talk about who the hell these people are that they surveyed anywhere else in the write-up for the survey. So here's my assumption. They went around to 14 departments at the university or within, like sub-departments within the university's institution of public opinion. In either event, I'm fairly convinced at this point that they did not walk outside the gates of the university and ask a poor ass Salvadoran selling frickin', you know, Frito pies on the street what they thought about Bitcoin. No, they interviewed probably students and other university professors. What do we know about that? They are wholly dependent on the legacy systems already in place, they cannot fathom a different world. They are terrified. Of course, 70% of Salvadorans don't like it, except for the fact that only 1% of Salvadorans, if that, if that, are in a university setting. So if you want to believe this bullshit poll, you go right ahead. Otherwise, I'm just going to continue on here. El Salvador's biggest Bitcoin critics make embarrassing public statements. Oh, let's just see how ignorant we can be. This is Bitcoin Magazine's Alex McShane. A pair of high-ranking officials in El Salvador's ruling party, Nuevas Ideas, took aim at critics who stand in opposition to the country's forthcoming Bitcoin legal tender law on Tuesday, smashed by $30, in what appears to be on the first, oh, one of the first public pushes to counter critics by the administration, the deputy of the party, Christian Guevara, pointed out the ignorance of the opposition's knowledge of Bitcoin basics. <clears throat> Quote, perhaps those who oppose Bitcoin have already heard the opinions of Tesale or have met with Elios Monk, who advised them on the Sotochis as pennies of the Bitcoin. Guevara is quoted as saying, and Sotochis is actually spelled S-O-T-O-T-O-C-H-I-S, which actually reads more Native American than anything else. The statement points out how the opposition, like left-leaning El Salvadoran political analyst Ruben Zamora, has used incorrect terms in reference to Bitcoin in recent days. Guevara's comments make abundantly clear that the biggest opposition to Bitcoin so far in El Salvador is coming from people who perhaps don't understand it. He continued, remember that what you are going to do is pay him with Satoshis. The Tochis is Santoshis that each Santoshi 
is like someone who says the penny, Zamora reportedly said on a local radio show. The public battle in the headlines comes just six days before the Bitcoin law takes effect in El Salvador and follows small protests by pensioners and politicians who are speaking out against the currency's adoption. Another representative of the El Salvadoran New Ideas Party, Alexia Rivas, rebuked opposition pushed forward by Ferrabundi Marti National Liberation Front. Dario Lahula noted in a separate report advising them directly to learn more about Bitcoin and how it is being regulated internationally. Quote, I asked the FMLN leaders who do not understand Bitcoin to go to Cuba and learn how it is regulated, Rivas said. Just a few days ago, Cuba's government said it would recognize and regulate Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies for payments on the island. Revius, or Revis continued, I want you to understand that there is going to be a whole training process so that there is no doubt how this new model that the country is undertaking will begin. Notably, Revis didn't hide the fact that there is significant learning curves in understanding Bitcoin, but as many believe, the payoff may well be worth the time investment in, or rather for, El Salvadorans. The president of El Salvador announced via Twitter last week that 200 ATMs and 50 in-person kiosks are being built to launch on September the 7th to support his forthcoming law. In an effort to help the population integrate Bitcoin as an additional legacy currency, President Bukele said, quote, you can deposit and withdraw money without commissions and there will be people ready to advise on how to download and use the electronic wallets and ATMs. In any case, the world will watch as and learn as El Salvador spearheads Bitcoin adoption next week. Smash by $30. Let's run the numbers. CNBC.com, futures and commodities, flammable liquids are on fire. Well, okay, so they're not on fire, but they're, they are all up. West Texas Intermediate uh, coming in at $70.18 per barrel. That is up a quarter of a point. Brent North Sea, $73.50. That is up three, or I'm sorry, uh, 0.62%. Natural gas is up 0.34%, $4.65 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline is also up almost a full point, 0.85%, $2.18 per gallon. Uh, Peter Schiff having a good day. Gold is up 0.3% to $1,817. Silver up almost a full point. Platinum is up a half a point. Copper is down 0.07. Palladium down scant. Agricultural futures are mixed, but I don't see anything that's really jumping out at me, except for maybe chocolate. Uh, cocoa is trading 1.23% up. Let's see here. Uh, Dow futures up 0.13. S&P futures up 0.17%. NASDAQ futures up 0.16%. And the S&P mini up a square quarter of a point. Real money coming at you, $49,810. We have 280,984 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That's almost 1,200 transactions on average every hour with 1.37 million BTC changing hands in the last 24 hours. 57,000 uh, BTC are being sent on average every hour with the average transaction value at 4.89 BTC and the median transaction value holding at 0.16 BTC right around 813 bucks. Block times are low, nine minutes and 28 seconds. 
0.12 BTCs taken in fees. 0.12 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 19 BTC have been taken in fees over the last 24 hours. And with the 14% bump in hash rate, we're back up to 133 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator, as always, is Dogecoin at 0.297 USD. That means it's almost 30 cents. Yeah, screw you, Doge. <clears throat> 592 transactions are waiting on one block to clear. $944 billion <clears throat> is Bitcoin's current market cap. That is just a hair under a full 8% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may pick up 27.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,805,116.5 BTC. 2,344.8 of those are in the Lightning Network. Capacity value is $117.7 million, being run over 14,889 nodes. And showing 67,939 open channels that we know about. Percentage of Tor capacity looks like it's either at or close to an all-time high. 74.6% of the Lightning Network is now run over Tor, and that means that there's 1,750.1 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network being run over 9,540 nodes. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Now, remember the piece by Obi Nwosu, right? He was talking about hegemony, Bitcoin, and rational self-interest. We could also talk about marketing. That's a rational self-interest. And that's what New York mayoral candidates turning to crypto for votes are doing. Scott Cipollina has this one out of decrypt.co. Yeah, 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 I know it's decrypt. But hey, it's kind of a slow news day. Come on, man, give me a... Give me a break. New York mayoral candidates are turning to crypto as part of their campaign promises. Quote, as New York City mayor, I will make NYC the most cryptocurrency friendly in the nation. Yeah, no, you won't. <laughs> not with that, not with that New York bullshit bit license crap. You ain't going to do nothing. And it continuing. Property taxes, fines, and fees will be payable in crypto, tweeted Republican candidate Curtis Silva yesterday. Quote, we will open more crypto ATMs and incentivize businesses to accept crypto. We must modernize our economy and make it accessible for all, he added. Better put a tie on that suit speak, bitch. Silva's tweet, which was coupled with a graphic from Dogecoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin, and Ripple ATMs, is far from the first time a New York City mayoral candidate has pushed the crypto ticket. Candidate Eric Adams, who won the New York Democratic primary, pledged to turn New York City into a center of Bitcoins uh, earlier this year. Quote, we're going to bring business here. We're going to become the center of life science, the center of cybersecurity, the center of self-driving cars, drones, the center of Bitcoins. Uh, he's actually putting the S on the end there. Adams said at a campaign watch party early in the summer, 
For Adams, his pro-crypto pledge appears to be part of a wider push toward modernizing the city and embracing new technologies rather than pushing for crypto exclusivity. In fact, as early as 2015, Adams confessed to wanting Bitcoin, Airbnb, and marijuana dispensaries in the city. There is also Andrew Yang, mayoral candidate and former Democratic presidential candidate, quote, as mayor of New York City, the world's financial capital, I would invest in making the city a hub for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. See, he actually got it right. It's a hub for Bitcoin, not Bitcoins. Uh, if New York City becomes the United States' undisputed hub for crypto, it will have to overtake Miami, which is led by arguably the most pro-crypto mayor in the country. Mayor Francis Suarez oversaw the city's hosting of this year's Bitcoin conference, which brought some of the world's loudest Bitcoin advocates and some shitcoiners to Miami to argue for a future in crypto. Earlier this year, Suarez set out on his crypto journey by creating a dedicated cryptocurrency team of his own and even by purchasing some crypto in a personal capacity. Okay, so, yeah. Half of these people don't give a shit about Bitcoin, just like Walmart, Amazon, and PayPal don't give a shit about Bitcoin. It's the utility that it offers, and they're tapping in. I kind of think that they're basically tapping into our marketing capabilities because we're actually getting pretty goddamn good at it, honestly. They're watching as any senator or house rep in the United States they're watching their Twitter numbers soar when they mention good things about Bitcoin. This is a fact, all right? Do I blame them? No, they're just playing the old card that has always been played. You jump on the fad until the fad dies. This fad, however, is not a fad and no, Bitcoin never dies every 10 minutes. It hearts, it's heart beats. You can't kill it. You can't do anything with it. But what you can do is piggyback on it and all the other people that are on this fucking train, right? And that's exactly what these people are doing. It is be very clear moving forward that anyone that is in public office or seeking public office that says this kind of stuff, immediately be skeptical, all right? That's just a word of advice here. Now, on to Nigeria and the continent of Africa. Nigeria's securities regulator establishes fintech unit to study crypto. Marie Juliet's got it for Cointelegraph. I know I'm butchering her name, but I can't help it. With much of the Nigerian crypto market underground or peer-to-peer -peer due to government restrictions, the country's securities regulator is looking into ways to make investors safer. In 2021, financial institutions operating in Nigeria have been the lever of a government crackdown on cryptocurrencies, beginning with February's notorious central bank ban on lenders providing services to crypto exchanges in the country. With much of the Nigerian crypto market of necessity peer-to-peer, -peer, Nigeria's Securities and Exchange Commission now aims to introduce regulations that could regularize God, uh, the industry and offer investors better protection. According to a September 2 report, the SEC has established a dedicated fintech division tasked with studying crypto and blockchain investment and products. Knowledge it could then marshal into a future crypto regulatory framework, Director General <clears throat> Lamido Yuguda told Reuters this week that the agency is looking at this market closely to see how we can bring out regulations that will help investors protect their investment in blockchain. <laughs> 
<laughs> to Nigeria's SEC, which considers that all crypto assets are securities unless proven otherwise. Yeah, guilty until proven innocent, I guess. Will only be able to establish a regulatory framework if crypto is once again integrated into the country's banking system. The agency is also reportedly looking to work with fintechs to strengthen the domestic market for securities to dissuade capital flight, which continues to beset multiple sectors. Crypto's exclusion from banking channels has not dampened enthusiasm for the asset class. On the contrary, of course, in a year fraught with political and economic crises, including social and economic repression and rampant inflation, crypto adoption has continued to grow. The Central Bank of Nigeria is also partnering with a Barbados-based fintech as a technical partner for its proposed e-Nera digital currency preliminary guidelines issued in August. At a meeting of the country's Monetary Policy Committee in Abuja this spring, CBN Governor Godwin Emmerfell expressed his confidence that cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin will eventually be legal in the country, but stressed that the government would do its best to prevent them from being used to finance illicit activities. Yeah, well, good luck. So, again, as always, I remind you, I do not give a shit about the West. I mean, yeah, I live in the West, but I don't give a shit about its adoption of Bitcoin. That's not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is the people that do not have what we have, i.e. a really good functional banking system. As evil as it is, it's functional. And I mean, it's good insofar that it works. It's not exactly good in its what it does, but you, you get my drift. Central America, South America, the entire continent of Africa, the Balkans, the Baltics, and way Eastern Europe. That's what I'm looking at. Everything else is all bullshit. Australia, prison colony. Again, New Zealand, not far off. China, couldn't give less of a shit. Japan, I'm surprised they're still even on the world stage. Taiwan, eh, I'm actually kind of interested in Taiwan, except it's going to be overtaken by China. So, you know, when you get into all this, what, you know, and then there's Russia. Outside of those countries, man, there's a whole other world. There's more than half the planet. And guess what? The other half of the planet has been basically standing on their shoulders for the entirety of the last, what, 150 years, let's say? Maybe 100, let's say 120, right? Yeah, they're tired of it. They are going to escape. And they have every reason to open the door and walk the fuck out of your party, bitches. Shop.com now accepts Bitcoin payments after partnership with BitPay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it had to be BitPay, didn't it? Oh, well, you take it where you can get it. Aaron Carmen's writing it for Cointelegraph. United States-based e-commerce platform Shop.com. Shop with a P, shop.com, is the latest site to adopt cryptocurrency payments. The company, which is owned by Market America, announced its partnership with crypto payment service provider BitPay, which will allow it to accept payments in several cryptocurrencies, including a BTC. A pause for a reminder. BitPay is not on Bitcoin's side. The people of BitPay were on the wrong side in 2017. They wanted bigger blocks. 
they wanted to control Bitcoin. They put on suits and nice ties and sat around a big round table called Satoshi's Round Table. And they drafted the New York Agreement, which was going to tell me bullshit how I was going to interact with the Bitcoin economy, network, and protocol. And we told them to shove it straight up their ass. And they backed down like the little bitches that they are. And yet, they still survived. Yeah, and yet, BitPay lives on. God, oh. Anyway, the new partnership enables shop.com users to select the BitPay option during checkout to pay via the crypto wallets. Currently, users have the option to pay with Bitcoin, Shitcoin 1, Shitcoin 2, Shitcoin 3, Shitcoin 4, Shitcoin 5, as well as 5 USD peg stablecoins. <laughs> Describing the partnership as the next chapter in doing business, shop.com president and COO Steve Ashley said that the BitPay integration is available in all the countries where Market America operates, which includes the United States, Canada, Australia, Hong Kong, Taiwan, United Kingdom, Singapore, and Malaysia. BitPay is also used by companies dealing with fiat currencies to act as a gateway for crypto payments. Businesses such as Las Vegas Auto Gallery and American Luxury Hotels, the Kessler Collection, signed a deal with BitPay to accept Bitcoin payments. A recent study by the crypto payments provider revealed that both crypto holders and non-owners show clear interest in crypto payments. As Cointelegraph reported, as many as 93% of responding crypto users indicated that they would consider making purchases in crypto in the future, while 59% of consumers who have never held crypto are interested in using it to make purchases. Okay, look, <clears throat> let's talk about spend and replace and the arguments by many people that have been in the, in the Bitcoin space for years that are screaming about that we have to start using our Bitcoin. I don't necessarily want to, to part with the Bitcoin that I've saved when I started buying it in 2015. However, and I'm not saying that they're right, I'm just saying this actually presents kind of an opportunity given what is going on here in this article. Crypto payments. What happens if we start doing this? Instead of spend and replace as a way to assuage our own anguish over selling our Bitcoin that we've collected up over the past, you know, 10, six, you know, six, you know, even 11 years, if you've been in the game that long, uh, assuage our fears of selling that, um, but yet still want to push using Bitcoin as money. Okay, well, there's another, if we add one more thing to those other two things on the table, I think we might have something. If we spend and replace, not just to assuage our fears of giving up the Bitcoin that we've already saved, what we do is we, we start enabling Bitcoin to be an even more gravitationally effective black hole to fiat currency than ever before. If we're constantly leveraging these kinds of technology, or not these kinds of technologies, but these kinds of services, and fully using crypto, uh, God, I'm sorry, guys, fully using Bitcoin to make, our <clears throat> to make our payments, we need to spend and replace so that we don't get rid of our already, you know, already hard work for Bitcoin. So we get fiat and we shove it into the money hole. And then that money hole compresses the money and turns it into Bitcoin and it's never going to leave. Well, okay, some people will sell it for fiat, but for the most part, I think the majority of it will stay in the Bitcoin network. Thusly, we end up with this pipeline that's like a vacuum and it vacuums up shitty money 
and it turns it into good money. So not only do we get to save our Bitcoin, not only do we get to use Bitcoin as a medium of exchange and start that whole thing going on, we get to destroy fiat money forever. Every time I DCA, I know that that 20, $25 every time that I DCA, um, I've been doing it since 2015, honestly. But every $25 that I spend on Bitcoin is, has not really come out. I had, well, I had to sell a little bit a long time ago when I had some financial issues. We all have that, but <clears throat> be that as it may, most of all the money that I've ever put into Bitcoin has stayed in Bitcoin, which means it's not getting converted back into fiat. It's, it kills fiat. It sucks its blood. It's like a, it's like a fucking leech, except this leech I actually like because it has ethics. It has morals. It sure as shit is a lot better situation than what we got now. So I think that we can make all, you know, I don't want to just go around making people happy all day long, but if we wanted to make the people of spend and replace happy, you can make yourself happy by making them happy, understanding that every dollar you put into Bitcoin destroys the dollar. And that's sort of kind of what we're after here. Anyway, uh, let's see. Oh, judge orders Ripple to hand over 1 million Slack messages to the SEC. And I'm going to go ahead and read the, read the synopsis line, even though it's going to be repeated later on. But Ripple is now required to produce terabytes of Slack messages to the SEC. Terabytes of text messages, guys. Terabytes of of. What is Slack? Yes, you can send videos and messages and shit like that through Slack. I doubt seriously that most people use Slack, that 80% of it is pictures and shit, not in a business setting. Do you have any idea how much writing has to be done to enable a terabyte? Jesus. United States Magistrate Judge Sarah Netburn has ordered Ripple to produce 1 million missing Slack messages among employees that the Securities and Exchange Commission has sought to access despite Ripple's protestations that complying would cost up to $1 million. How the fuck is it going to cost $1 million to hand over the server? They, they can look at it. I mean, just like here, here's, here, here's, access to the, here's access to all the shit. That does not cost $1 million. That's bullshit. The judge deemed the messages critical and unique evidence for the SEC's ongoing a case against the multi-billion dollar company for selling unregistered securities. The SEC filed a suit against Ripple Labs and its initial and current CEOs, Christian Larson and Bradley Garlinghouse, for selling XRP as an unregistered security on December the 20th. According to Law 360 in the original motion to compel Ripple from August 9th, the SEC argued that the messages among Ripple employees were relevant to the parties, claims the defenses and proportional to the needs of the case. It also said that Ripple should deliver all messages from 22 email custodians in addition to the Slack messages. So there you go. They're going after their Slack. I just find it freaking hilarious that they're asking that somehow or another there may be terabytes of text messages involved over the short amount of time that Ripple has been here. It's not like they have 12,000 employees. At least I don't think that they have 12,000 employees. How the hell do you get terabytes of text messages in a, in a few years? Think about that. 
And also the, the protestation that it's going to cost a million dollars to gather that all up. Again, absolute poppycock. Speaking of, we have the Schiff riff. Crypto potato. Peter Schiff admits Bitcoin price could reach 100K, but remains a non-believer in a somewhat surprising turn of events. The full-time Bitcoin critique uh, or critiquer, Peter Schiff, acknowledged that BTC's price could have another impressive leg up by reaching $100,000. By the way, if you've already heard this, that's because this thing is from uh, August 19th, but he's got a quote in here that I just love. He's known for many things, from calling the 2008 financial crisis to supporting gold on every occasion, but he's famous within the cryptocurrency community as the ultimate basher. While speaking to Natalie Burnell from Coin Stories, the gold bug didn't shy away from repeating his negative stance on Bitcoin. For example, he refuted the belief that the asset will ever be employed as a means of payment by the mass population. Uh shop.com, whatever, which is Bitcoin's ultimate goal. That's not, don't tell me what Bitcoin's ultimate goal is. I don't know what Bitcoin's ultimate goal is. We, nobody knows. There's so much layers to this onion as it grows in the fertile soil that it's in that there's no way to tell what the fucking ultimate goal is. Stop that shit. Anyway, after referring to AMC Entertainment's recent decision to accept BTC as a payment tool, Schiff argued that even Bitcoin proponents like Anthony Pompliano don't believe anyone would ever want to spend their holdings for tickets or popcorn. And he goes on, despite all the negative stuff Schiff had to say about Bitcoin, and there were quite many of them, he couldn't dispute the fact that the cryptocurrency has indeed been among the best performers in terms of USD price since its existence. And in fact, it provided an ROI of 8,900,000% last decade alone and trumped the precious metals by a massive margin. Keeping this in mind, the economist somewhat reluctantly had to admit that he should have bought some portions of the asset when he first heard about it in 2011. On a question about his financial regrets, Schiff said, quote, clearly I wish I had bought Bitcoin when I first heard about it. That was a keen mistake. Could I have put $100,000 in it? Yeah, I could have. I mean, I put $100,000 in other things that turned out poorly. I could have been one of the Bitcoin billionaires now, as obviously I knew about it early on. If I could go back in time, that's one of the things that I would do. Furthermore, Schiff spoke about BTC's potential price increases, and he admitted that it's entirely possible they could go as high as $100,000 to even a million dollars a coin. However, he made it clear that the expanding price tag doesn't mean that Bitcoin is less of a bubble. He, in fact, he asserted that BTC could become such a normous, an enormous bubble that it would replace the term Ponzi scheme. Man, talk about quadrupling and pentupling and septupling down. Peter's just, he refuses to learn. This is what's called willful ignorance and that's gonna do it for the morning roundup. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, mesdames and messieurs, it is Friday. And it's not just any Friday. Well, at least in the United States, it's not. This kicks off the weekend of the last barbecue. It's, yep, that's right. It's Labor Day weekend. Barbecue season goes from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Unless you're a Texan. 
or quite possibly somebody from Tennessee or somebody who just un- understands that barbecue can be done in any season, any day of the year, as long as it's not raining outside, unless, of course, you've got you know a place where your smokers and stuff are covered. I shall be smoking ribs and possibly a Boston butt. Not quite sure if I've got that much room on the grill, but I sure as shit am going to try. Uh, if you guys have a smoker, go get yourself some oak wood. Stop cooking on mesquite, by the way. Uh, every once in a while, maybe a couple of chips of mesquite is good, but the only reason that people like go all on about mesquite smoke is the products about mesquite smoked barbecue sauce and mesquite flavored barbecue chips. And all. Yeah, dude, if you've ever smoked a rack of ribs on pure mesquite, oh yeah, you'll understand why it is that, no, dude, use oak, specifically post oak, by the way. If you can find post oak, that's what you want to use. Anyway, so I'm going to be doing that on Monday. Um, Hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. But before I let you go, we got to do a joke from Dad Says Jokes. What's the term for a person dying and coming back as a hillbilly? Reincarnation. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.